Hello, I'm Srinivas Anakindi, and welcome back to Second Opinion, where we break down the latest trends in pharma and healthcare. This month, we're taking a look at the world of pharmaceutical access, and specifically the rising use of intelligent contracts, which allow for more transparent and flexible arrangements, benefiting everyone from pharma to payer to patients. We'll cover what intelligent contracts are, why they're needed, and the critical steps required to build them and get buy-in from payers. We'll also explore examples of what these contracts look like in the light of day and how they create innovative value. Finally, if you enjoy the insights shared here about the latest trends in pharma and healthcare, please do get in touch to let us know what you think. Plus, please be sure to share our insights with any colleagues you think might be interested. And as always, any articles or papers that we reference will be linked in the email and website versions of Second Opinion. So do have a look. The way that the pharmaceutical industry interfaces with healthcare is rapidly changing. Treatment regimens are lasting longer, burden of care is increasing, and the definition of successful treatment is becoming more nuanced. Given these trends, the way that we interface with payers must also evolve. As the quality and complexity of care increases, there is a need to move to models which better enable healthcare systems to get the right treatments to the right people at the right time, and in doing so, unchain pharma from the restraints of the traditional volume model. We'll cover the reasons why this unchaining is so greatly needed further on, but first consider the following. When value is defined by more than just revenue and cost, what if we could work smarter? Perhaps in a world of abundantly accessible health data, complex health outcomes, and products that no longer fit in little white bags, perhaps then we must work in a way that will deliver mutual value by giving healthcare more reliability in value per dollar spent, while giving pharma more agency in their revenue streams. So enter a new type of contract, intelligent contracts. A broad bucket term for agreements that consider value and cost with more flexibility than traditional pay-per-pill style contracts. We've seen a number of attempts and early forays with these, from volume-capped and value-sharing agreements, but they never truly took flight. This is partly because these previous attempts were all about capping remuneration in an attempt to control healthcare spending and support austerity efforts, which is an admirable cause, but one-sided in its benefits. Now, however, we see companies experimenting with contracts which allow them to share and obtain value from mutually beneficial objectives, for example, health outcomes. When remuneration is tied to the outcomes of specific services or interventions, all parties are working to the same goal. By improving the care that they deliver, pharma improves the outcomes of patients, reduces burden on healthcare, and improves the realized revenue as a result. Now that the latest generation of health tech allows for easy monitoring, collection, and anonymous collation of data describing these outcomes, we have everything we need. So, what then should a good intelligent contract contain? Payers are only now starting to come around to new kinds of contracts, and so a large part of being able to access the value delivered by these arrangements depends on engaging payers to sell them on the value of working differently. Start by identifying the payer challenge and the offering you seek to hinge the contract around which will solve this challenge. Is it a patient support program to reduce the cost of GP visits and hospitalizations? 
Is it a remote self-diagnosis tool to increase early detection of burdensome conditions? These may not be new solutions in and of themselves, but by ensuring they are clearly positioned to payers as providing new value, you can link into their stated priorities, and in doing so, create the value case. This value has to be clearly articulated and expressed in terms of all stakeholders, payers, patients, healthcare providers, and pharma. Having done this, you can start to think about the contractual terms and how delivered value will be recognized by payers, whether that is financial or otherwise. For example, expanded access to outcomes supporting services, which deliver you with important real-world data and evidence. Just some things to keep in mind when you're looking at this then. Firstly, start from an external perspective and do so with a cross-functional team. Pull insights from medical and commercial teams to take a payer-centric perspective to healthcare needs and priorities, from which you can then ideate and build the value proposition required. Next, get in front of your audience early. These contracts are new, but if payers are consulted early and involved to co-create these agreements, they will be more willing and trusting to buy into what your teams eventually create. And finally, consider infrastructure requirements from the get-go. Make sure you take into account around how you will deliver, measure, and improve the delivery of services and solutions on which your contract depends. Make sure you prepare ahead of time to identify the relevant levers to manage delivery against KPIs where required. It's a complex field, and one that is new, but for the organizations we've worked with to make this real, they found quickly that by prioritizing the right elements and bringing the right people into the conversation early, this can go from something unfamiliar to something exciting incredibly quickly. Moving on then to why we're talking about volume-based healthcare is something that needs to go away. The term volume to value has become a popular term in the healthcare industry. The global rise in healthcare costs have been mainly attributed to increased life expectancy, prevalence of chronic diseases in our society, and as a result, the share of total GDP spent on healthcare services is expected to double by 2060. Against that backdrop, the established volume-based care system, or fee-for-service, seems unable to withstand these rising costs without patient outcomes being compromised. Implementation of a value-based framework instead, and specifically the use of value-based contracts, whereby clinical outcomes are factored into drug prices and remuneration agreements, are therefore expected to enhance patient outcomes and facilitate delivery of quality of care at a better value. The traditional volume-based model has underlined healthcare systems for years and operated on the basis that healthcare providers within the system are reimbursed for the quantity of procedures performed. However, what this model does not take into account is whether these services are necessary or resulting in a positive outcome for the patient. Use of intelligent contracting options such as value-based contracts may provide the much-needed flexibility and benefits that volume-based care cannot provide. First and foremost among these is improved patient outcomes. Increased ownership and responsibility of outcomes by pharma companies may result in broader access to innovative medicines and services provided by payers and provision of additional support for patients while in therapy. A past analysis reported that improvement in patient outcomes was seen by 58% of payers of whom engaged with value-based contracts. Pharma companies are also able to generate and collect real-world data in these instances to further improve outcomes through this pay-for-performance mechanism. Next is reduced medical costs. 
Intelligent contracts can also support the optimal use of medicines when outcomes are considered and may lower medical costs for healthcare systems due to reduced hospitalizations, ER visits, and other procedures that may have been deemed unnecessary for the patient to receive in the first instance. Results-based contracts were reported in one case to lower potentially the burden of diabetes by 5% in the US, allowing for an annual cost saving of $12 billion. Then finally, when all of this comes together, increased affordability and access for patients is what we see as a result. If pharma companies agree to accept increased financial risk via the use of intelligent contracting options, insurers may offer lower insurance options, and this may lead to increased access to healthcare services for patients. An article estimated that patients with cardiovascular disease who were prescribed cholesterol-lowering medications in 2019 saved an approximate $800,000 in out-of-pocket costs in the US when an intelligent contract option was used. Value-based contracts are just one type, among several, of intelligent contracting options that can be explored. And these novel arrangements require collaborative relationships between the ecosystem stakeholders involved, pharma, payers, physicians, providers, patients. Despite the challenges required for implementation and uptake of these contracts, however, the value is so significant for all stakeholders, it stands as an imperative that we explore their adoption and leave the volume-based model behind. Finally, we've spoken about what intelligent contracts are and their benefits, but what exactly does an intelligent contract look like and how would it be used? To paint that picture, we pulled together some examples which offered win-win scenarios for both parties, helping either to manage risk for payers or increase treatment value perceived by payer or both. There's two main types here. So we have health outcomes-based contracts and beyond-the-pill contracts. The importance of the first of these lies in the rise of demand for real-world evidence and a rise in health outcomes for given treatments in real-life settings forming the basis for payers' decisions. Now, health outcomes-based treatment coverage, for example, covers agreements where post-launch real-world evidence generation or endpoints can be leveraged to evaluate the continuation, expansion, or withdrawal of treatment coverage. For example, a hypothetical risk-sharing agreement was launched in 2015 between UCB and the Finland Pharmaceutical Pricing Board for UCB's Simsia medication, which involved a treatment switch and refund of the costs associated with Simsia acquisition if patients failed to achieve a certain response at week 12. The scheme showed reduced costs of about €8,000 per patient, which could fund treatment for 6% more Finnish rheumatoid arthritis patients. Looking then at health outcomes-based reimbursements, these are agreements where reimbursement may be offered by the payer at a higher or lower amount, or from the manufacturer in the form of discounts, rebates, or refunds, if the treatment doesn't reach its desired real-world outcomes. Now, an example of this being put into practice were the 2015 and 2017 Amgen-Harvard-Pilgrim agreements for Amgen's hyperlipidemia drug, Evolocumab. Amgen stated in this instance that upfront discounts and future rebates would be given based on meeting specific cholesterol targets, total spending threshold, and adherence, or a full refund offered if a patient had a heart attack or stroke in exchange for a preferred formula replacement. The second type looks at stepping beyond the treatment beyond the pill. Under these agreements, manufacturers offer value beyond health outcomes in the form of additional service offerings or improved economic outcomes. With this, increased patient value delivered through system interventions, 
redesigned care pathways, improved patient adherence, or seamless disease monitoring, to name a few, payers can have more confidence in their reimbursement decisions, and in turn manufacturers gain a source of competitive advantage. In one example of this, the Indian affiliate of a global pharma company utilized a service-based innovative contract in 2019 related to their ovarian cancer drug, which offered a patient support program and a testing coupon scheme for unrelated cancer, providing increased value for patients and, in turn, the payer. Another example is the first-of-its-kind population-level commercial deal between Novartis and the NHS, which accelerated uptake of Novartis and Clisaran amongst UK atherosclerotic cardiovascular patients. This was done through Novartis offering the drug at an affordable cost-effective price, alongside working with NHS academic and collaborative networks to drive up uptake through a variety of devices, such as clinician education, formulary position optimization, and national incentives to drive adoption. Such an agreement enabled the NHS to secure maximum value from its budget while increasing Novartis's market share. At the end of the day, this is something our industry has been looking to implement for years. It is a strategy which serves to take the often at odds priorities of private pharma companies, public healthcare institutions, and individual patients, taking them all together and combining them by putting them down on the same page. Evolutions in healthcare technology, data, and a move towards strategic partnerships have set the landscape for this to be possible for the first time since they were really theorized decades ago. So now is the time to invest in making them real. Thank you to our guest authors this month, Monique and Sean. As always, I've been Srinivas Anakindi with Second Opinion. Have a great day.